0: Hey everyone we have a super fun show for you today i am talking with john sharkey john is a clinical anatomist exercise physiologist and a neuromuscular therapist but he's also a fantastic teacher Um, super fun conversation about the body about anatomy and how the body is made to move and made to heal if you're into anatomy and you just love learning this is the podcast for you i will tell you that it is kind of visual so if you're watching it on youtube you get to see what he's actually demonstrating but if not, you can listen and pretty much get the gist. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. This is the original Strength Podcast. So, John, thank you very much. Uh, you are a clinical anatomist yes. and and a pioneer in twenty first century anatomy. Um, for our listeners, what what is a clinical anatomist, and what what do you do?
1: Great question. <laughs> Um, Okay, so there are differences throughout the world um, in terms of um, the the legal requirements needed to be able to dissect a human body, to take a scalpel and to to make incisions onto a human body. So a clinical anatomist is an individual who is responsible for delivering the anatomy module of the uh, medical degree course to undergraduate medical students. And, um, and, so, and so that's basically what we do. And uh, there are various different methods used. I'm, you know, an old dinosaur now at this stage, which is kind of peculiar. It's amazing when you look in the mirror and you see this 60 uh, something year old looking back at yourself, uh, you wonder where have the years gone? But um, but yes, yeah, so, so we would have used uh, cadaveric uh, dissection. So people who've left their bodies to science um, and what a great, great cephalus gift as their final act to humanity. And we then get to uh, take care of the remains and to use those remains for educational purposes. Now, on this side of the world, Tim, um, you know, particularly where I'm from, I'm from Dublin, Ireland. Um, my alma mater is Dundee University in Scotland. And um, but for Ireland, Northern Ireland, which is which is um, part of the United Kingdom, uh, England, Scotland and Wales um, it, it would only be anatomists who are allowed to do uh, dissection, where if I make a comparison with the USA, you have a number of uh, private organisations that run dissection courses and therefore people do not have to be anatomists and can go in and can run these courses and can, di- and can dissect. So that's kind of the difference on, on from up this side of the Atlantic to your side of the Atlantic.
0: So. But you just, you refer to yourself as an old dinosaur, but you're actually unveiling a new paradigm for anatomy or you're trying to, right? So, and and I, I love what you're doing because to me, the body is amazing. And you're basically trying to share with people and educate people that it's not just a machine. It's not parts and pieces and levers and columns. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, sure. And I mean, in, in terms of saying I'm a, I'm a pioneer, it's it's odd in a way from the fitness industry side of things, for example. Um, I, you know, I can remember my sister saying to me around 1977, 1976, she said to me, you know, what really surprises me, John, is that you don't seem to have any particular ambition. You know, you don't have any uh, idea what you want in terms of a career. And I remember saying to my sister, Valerie I said wow that's that's just not right I said I have ideas in my mind but I can't match them up to something specific and we had no fitness we had no uh, particularly for me the word health is hugely important so from a European perspective um, I'm going to go all around the world here now Tim all right it's just and then pull me back but and um, so I was in, involved in, in establishing what's what was called the European Health Fitness Association which then has become um, and Europe active, and now you have the reps body. So the, the Register of Exercise Professionals, you have them in North America, in, the, in Canada and, and uh, USA, and um, we have them in United Arab Emirates. We have them in Australia, New Zealand, they're everywhere. And I didn't think we'd achieve that um, in my lifetime, but we have done. Now, what I will say as well is I don't believe the standard is very good, but at least there's a standard there, um, and, and that's true. That's true, the reps. Now, when I was first starting out as a youngster, we we did not have fitness instructors, we did not have fitness instructor qualifications. And I joined the very first fitness center that opened here in Ireland with my brother. And I can remember people, co- you know, we had cubes out the door, my people coming up to myself, my brother, and saying, what, What's going on in there? Like, what do they do? And we were trying to explain, you know, what this was. I mean, it was you know, that's a strange thing to say to someone even like yourself, you know. And so I, I've been lucky enough to have worked with some of the world's real pioneers, you know, from the very earliest days, both in the, because I'm an exercise physiologist as well, so my, my kind of, the rocks upon which I'm built are, you know, human anatomy, I'm a clinical anatomist, and exercise physiology, and I was really encouraged to ensure that I, I had at least those two strings to my bow and um, because we, yeah, I think that anatomy is is the is the rock upon which we're built, but you cannot have anatomy without physiology and. Um, and so from, from the, the term pioneer, I suppose that's just a sign that you're getting old. You know, And <laughs> I've been around long enough that people would say that. But I really want to say two things. One, um, I'm 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 never confident that I've ever had an original thought myself. And it's not it's not important to me that I did or didn't have an, an original thought. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in anybody naming something after me that, the sharky technique or that couldn't care less about anything. I care less about my family and my friends and I care about leaving a legacy and about helping to educate people and to give them a particular vision, because although we're going to talk you know, about maybe, you know, human anatomy, physiology, I believe that what we do has a much bigger impact out into our local community and into the global community. What we do and what we teach, believe it or not, Tim, what you're teaching even um, about, you know, helping people to take better care of themselves so that they can take better care of the people that they love has a huge impact on the world. And, um, you know, we're we're on the midst of a crisis at the moment now, as we can see, with regards to global warming. Um, One of my uh, mentors was a a man by the name of uh, David Simons. And um, he was the first human being to go into space. A lot of people think that it was a Russian cosmonaut, uh, Yuri Gagarin, but it was actually David Goodman Simons who was officially the first human being to go into space. He was a, an American. Um, and he'd be known if I said Trevell and Simons. A lot of people might know that those names from Trevell and Simons' myofascial trigger points. But David had written um, a very famous um, medical textbook with uh, Dr. Jada Trevell. She was the first a female a doctor, female MD to go into the White House. She was a uh, um, physician to John F. Kennedy. There's a, a much bigger story there as well. But anyway, um, th- those two met and they wrote the, the, the what became the, the big famous red books, Myofascial Pain and Dysfunction, The Trigger Point Manuals. And then David was working on the third edition of that, of that text and um, he got so- sidetracked. Now, what did he get sidetracked on? He got sidetracked on writing a book about global warming, and uh, this was the big issue for him. And so he never got to, to do um, the third edition. Myself and several other authors got to. Um, I got to play a small part in that, but we got to to um, to write the, the third edition. I want to make the main point. I want to say to you, Tim, is that you know it's it's lovely that you say I'm a pioneer, but you know, and that's and that's great. And as I say, when you look back at a life lived, hopefully I have a few years left of me yet. Um, but yeah, I can understand why you would why you would use that word. I'm starting to head towards the elder uh, category. So, and that's fine. But I, I just wanted to, to say that I'm standing on the shoulders of others. I really am. And I can't be confident that I've had an original thought because, you know, so many people long before me um, viewed the body from a holistic Viewpoint, but it's so surprising in anatomy and that we'll we'll go through one or two interesting little points. Um, In anatomy, you know, people talk about parts and it's a reductionist language. Well, if I was to, so this is off off the cuff, if I was to stand and I go into a forward flexion and if I go from forward flexion and I go to lift myself to an upright position and if I said to somebody, um, You know, where where am I generating the forces in order to be able to, to do that? So it's a very simple motion. Well, it's as complicated as you wish to make it. But from a gross viewpoint, you've gone into forward flexion and you're now going to go to an upright position. Where are you generating the forces? So for those people that might be listening to us and they're trying to figure it out, you've bent forward, your feet are flat on the floor, you've gone into a forward flexed position, and now you're going to go to an upright position. Um, So you might say what, hamstrings, you know, gluteus maximus, erector spinae muscles, you know, as a a kind of a gross response, but you see, I would say right, how many of us are familiar with with Newton's laws, so, um, and by the way, I'd encourage listeners as well to Embrace science and to not be scared of a little bit of math. I'm not talking about some serious calculus or anything, just even a little bit of math. Don't, don't, don't let it put you off and encourage your kids uh, to get involved in, in science. So we knew, know that Newton you, you told us a few things for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Lots of people might remember that one. Uh, but also, uh, and I, by the way, I'm paraphrasing because you would have to translate into English and we might lose a little bit in the translation But uh, paraphrasing an object that is in motion or an object that is stationary. So, for instance, if I took um, my mobile phone and if I just if I just left, imagine this is a flat surface, and I leave it there, you can't imagine that the phone will suddenly start moving. You know, you, you know that you can look at it there and it's, it's stationary. There are some people say, but John, the earth is spinning. And so therefore, it's, yes, we know all that, and you know, clever clogs and all that business. But in the scheme of things, I'm sitting on a chair right now and I'm not moving. So an object that is in motion or an object that is stationary will remain in motion or will remain stationary. And I'm wondering if any of the listeners would be able to finish the rest of the law. So just give them a couple of seconds to think about it and then say, so the rest of that law is unless acted upon by an external force. In other words, with the phone analogy, it would have to be a force that came along externally and boom, now it starts to move because it was at rest. Or if this was somehow, you know, zooming through space and another force came in and knocked it in another direction, then there's the external force acting at play. But yet our hamstrings our gluteals and our erector spinae muscles, in my estimation, are internal. Yes, therefore, part of the quandary and part of the question that you'd have to put out there, then, is where are you producing the forces needed in order to have moved me? Because it looks initially that we could be either breaking Newton's law. Now, if it was possible to break Newton's law, then one would have to ask the question, why is it why is that possible? And I would say it's possible um, if it's possible. We we'll have to get there uh, because we are we are living constructs. So the the great thing about all living constructs, let's stick with homo sapiens. Let's stick with ourselves, human beings. Um, human beings did not, uh, during embryology, your mom did not have to go to the hospital to have the uh, lower limb bolt-on procedure for her baby. You do not have to go to hospital in order to have your spleen cell in underneath your ribcage. You grew your own eyeballs. You grew that wonderful neck of yours, Tim, that you spoke about on another <laughs> podcast. Don't think I, have, don't think I haven't look, looked you up and checked you out. you doing a great job. And I love your podcasts and some of your, your guests were excellent. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Thank you. <laughs> Compliment to you. Absolutely. Um, you know, so do, do you get the point they're making that you grew yourself? Yes. The fact that you grew yourself should tell you something. It should tell you that everything in the human body is connected to everything else. And therefore, even... The movement of my of my digit here, the movement of this finger, has got to be an entire uh, body wide motion. It's not just a local thing, but it is it, it is if you know influenced by, and it, it dictated by the entire body. Of course, we can have a, a conversation about the local uh, activity, but we must always then try to. You know take that journey to understand the the more global uh, aspect and certainly when it comes to both exercise but if it comes to for instance myself working with surgeons it's this idea that somebody does a you know a lateral approach to you know get at some retroperitoneal structure in the abdomen and that they think that by disrupting the connective tissue in this area that that is not going to have an effect on a shoulder or on a foot. And, they, and a lot of them are, are not trained to, to, to have that vision. They really believe that, you know, an operation here has nothing to do with, with down there. I mean, they're, they're two completely different things. And that's part of my job. It seems simplistic to me, but when I'm speaking with people, it's just amazing when they say, do you, do you mean that a, a patient if I, if I do a retroperitoneal you know, approach for abdomen and a patient complains to me of shoulder pain a month later or form you're saying that they could be connected. And I'm blown away by that. I'm kind of going, oh my goodness, there is work to be done in order to try to uh, educate people uh, regarding the continuity and the connectedness of, of human form and function.
0: So it, you're saying for, just just to sum up that, Everything is connected and there's a, there is a continuity throughout the whole body where every cell is attached and connected to any cell in the body. It's integrous. And an outside assault or invasion like a surgery can affect not only the point where the surgery or the assault happens, but globally, anywhere and everywhere throughout the entire body.
1: Yeah, and you use the word assault and I sometimes use the word insult. So they're, you know, they're, they're fairly close, aren't they? Yes. So the fact that, and then, of course, people are proud about the fact that they say, oh, but look, I've just got three little tiny holes. Yeah. You know, well, three little tiny holes. Uh, first of all, you have an outer cosmos. And then you have an inner cosmos. And the rules that, uh, that are, must be obeyed out there must also be obeyed here. Um, so your body under your skin is a vacuum. There are now. this is a little academic. I will lose some people when I say this and I know I will, but I need to say it anyway. There are no spaces in the human body. There are only what we would refer to as virtual spaces. And when we talk about a space in the human body, it's not like a space like this room. So so the language changes and that can become a little bit confusing. A a great example is the word stretch and people use stretch all the time. You should never stretch human living connective tissues, the worst possible thing you can do. But the vast majority of people involved in what they're calling stretching are not stretching at all. So it's fine. For the most part, you could keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we have to really then, you know, agree what the word stretch means. In fact, I was just dealing um, just earlier um, in, in the week, uh, last week, um, I was just dealing with somebody It's relating to um, DNA, a paper on DNA. I was talking to a colleague of mine and um, they were talking about, you know, that when they were looking at DNA or uh, working with DNA, there would be a stretch of DNA. And I said, oh, that's interesting. You should use the word stretch of DNA. And then I went looking at other papers and then I realized that, wow, this is a common term uh, used uh, with cellular um, biologists and others they talk about a stretch of DNA, you know. So there's another community that are using the word stretch. In my community, amongst clinical anatomists, um, when people have died, they stretch them out, you know, or maybe somebody has been sitting for too long and they decide to go for a walk to stretch their legs. So the word stretch can be used, you know, in so many different in so many different ways that we have to try to make sure that we um, are agreeing that we are agreeing the language but the point i'm making is that so, so you've an outer cosmos and an inner cosmos we do not have any um, spaces in the human body so if i was to damage a, you know my this is your biceps brachii this massive big muscle i have here in my upper limb uh, incidentally this is the upper limb a lot of people think this is your arm but it's not your arm your arm is only from here to here and of course we sometimes Most of the language that we use in anatomy is Latin, but we borrow from other disciplines. So, for instance, um, for seagoing pirates and others, uh, seamen and women, then they would have had nautical terms. So to to be in front of a boat, in front was, so this would be fore, so fore and aft. So this is the forearm, which tells you that it's the part of your body that is before your arm. So this is the this is the arm yeah this is the arm yes. this is the forearm this is the wrist this is your your palm and these are your these are your digits and um, and I'll leave it with the, the people who are listening into us now to see if they can work out where their leg is now that I've shown them where their uh, where their arm is and the whole thing of course is called your upper limb but if i was to somehow sever you know internally my my biceps brachii tendon Uh, what you'd get is you'd get a, um, you know, you wouldn't get a piece of loose skin and a space beneath there where the tendon had been. It would, it would, you know, it's a vacuum. So it gets, the skin gets sucked in and you wouldn't have any space. So that's, that's um, an important point to make. So when the surgeon therefore is making those three holes, if they took an endoscope, if they took a camera and went to put the camera in, the camera would just simply butt up against meat. It could just butt up against connective tissue. So how then do you get, how do you get a camera in to look at a knee joint? You have to either inject clear saline, you know, fluid, or if it's in the abdomen, what you do is you will, you will make an incision. Usually we do it with our finger. Then we make an incision on the skin, get in with our finger, and we'll separate out the fascia. Then we'll slip in a balloon and we'll blow the balloon up. And it'll be a transparent balloon so that we can then see the structures that we need to see. But that balloon blowing up is pulling all that connective tissue apart. So we call it minimally invasive surgery um, and surgeons do their best to try to be minimally invasive. But that's a little bit like saying Germany minimally invaded Poland during World War Two. You know, it's, it's no such thing as minimal invasive. It's you're going to have invasion. And um, but we do our best working with surgeons to try to, to minimize that. And Sometimes surgeries are needed. Um, You know, somebody has a cancerous tumour, are there there any other types? There are, of course, but um, but if somebody has a cancer and it needs to be removed, so in some cases you're going to have to have that surgery. Or in sport, of course, it's huge in sport because they want to get back playing whatever they're doing as quickly as possible. Where other members of the general public um, can afford to wait longer to heal, but unfortunately in this world they don't because everything now needs to be instantaneous. So they'll go for these operations. But I don't think that everybody fully understands either the risks involved or you know, the, the type of damage that's going to be created. And what's the worst thing that can happen to you from having an operation? What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, And that'd be death. Yeah. MRSA, you get an infection and that's it. You know, you're lucky, you know, you're going to be on you know, a, a, a mixture cocktail of antibiotics etc but um and hopefully you'll survive but the the risk is you you allow atmospheric air to get under your skin there's a risk of of infection so just be very careful about your choice um you know that you don't make it on a whim or that it's a willy-nilly it's not willy-nilly you know it's it's a very serious decision that you that you should make and Oftentimes people, I've heard so many people over the years say to me, well, I have a pain in my knee here. Like, okay. and say, yeah, I'm just going to go in and get it investigated. You know, to me, that's that's a little bit ludicrous. I'd have thought that you would have given it a little bit of time or go to a, an expert who can assess it for you and kind of give you some, some information as to what they think might be going on and then give it a reasonable amount of time for healing. And if it hasn't healed at that stage and you're still confused as to what it is, then perhaps... As long as the medical profession also has told you that, that there's nothing untoward here, nothing that you to worry about, and um, you know, th- then give it time to heal. You know?
0: So you're saying that the body's a, a closed system and everything's connected and that if we honor the body and its processes and its design, if we're patient, that it can fairly well heal itself from a number of different issues without jumping the gun and, and going for that insult with yeah, the surgery.
1: Number of different dishes. I think there's a limit to what the body can actually do. There's always going to be a limit to you know to everything about us, but that connection is not just an internal connection, and uh, we're not going to do justice. I'm certainly not going to do justice justice to it in the time frame that you and I are speaking. But let's just uh, let's just make a comparison between ourselves and some you know large redwood or some beautiful oak tree. Okay, let's stop and think about that for a moment. Okay, from a cellular basis, you know, are we similar to trees? Well, trees are untessellated cells. We are, for the most part, tessellated cells, although both of us have a little bit of the other, you see. So why is that? Well, trees need to be stiff and, you know, really unyielding. And they need to just be able to sway and rotate and move, you know, with the the forces of nature, the wind, etc. And if we look at humans, we're the very opposite end of that spectrum. We need just just the right amount of stiffness um, and hardness. Uh, A lot of people think bones are really hard and bones should be malleable and soft and pliable and they need to be able to be responsive to be able to shorten and expand with movement but that's never taught anywhere i'm the only crazy person going around the world telling people this it would seem um but you know but but bones are just a, simply a continuum of all of this stuff here all of this is your soft matter your soft connective tissue and your bones are just a harder version of all of this softness so we have this, which is really, really soft and, um, you know, you have mucus from the nose or you have the leptomeninges in the brain. And, um, you know, th- these are all different on the spectrum. They're all different levels of softness to hardness um, trees breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. We breathe in oxygen and we breathe out carbon dioxide. My goodness. It, you know, how obvious is it that there is a symbiotic relationship between humans and every living creature uh, on this earth? So, there is another connection, and it really depends on how you want to describe connections, but everything is connected, everything. And sometimes it can seem like there is a divide or a separation. Let me see if I can. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just use my the, the top that I'm wearing. So imagine, imagine this is the original fabric, the original material of the human body. And, and there is an original material, the mesenchyme. There is an original material, a fabric, um, a matrix, you know, for the human body. What happens to that matrix? Well, that matrix can, you know, become thicker. Or it can, because of the forces acting upon it, it can th- Thin out, and so when I'm making incisions in the body, you'll see some thin tissue and then some thicker tissue, some tissue that has maybe some fat contained within it, or maybe another uh, fluid contained within it, which we call hyaluron. And you'll get these in bursa in the body. And um, so you get speciality, but in this in this connective tissue, uh, we deposit specialised cells. So let's say these cells are contractile cells. Well, now this tissue becomes muscle. Over here, we deposit other cells, and let's say they're liver cells. So now this becomes a liver. But the fabric, the original fabric is the same, and it is continuous. It is throughout. Well, what happens to the fabric is, the fabric, because of the forces, let's say, for instance, in the very early stages, the very first specialized differentiated cells in human embryology, are blood cells. Why would you need blood cells? Well, we want to provide nutrient supply and oxygen to the tissue. So, okay, let's let's start getting you know an arterial and venal system in place as quickly as possible because we need to have growth and we're going to need to supply energy for that growth. Okay, so therefore, on a hierarchical basis, what's required? Well, the first thing we need are we're going to need the cells that will deliver, you know these materials to us. And then what we can, what we try to do then is, well, actually, what happens as a consequence of that is that we call into being. In other words, they emerge, uh, blood vessels emerge. So imagine my finger now represents blood cells. You see, so there's the blood cells butting up against the connective tissue. But look what happens. They butt up against the connective tissue. They create force moving forward and you can see the shape of my finger. So now what do they do? They create a you could call that a pocket or they create a blood vessel, you see? And that's where the shape of the blood vessel comes from, but it came from the original fabric, you see? And then what the fabric can sometimes do is, the fabric, because of the forces acting upon it, so here's the forces coming, and then the forces always come from posterior to anterior, from the back to the front. So humans grow from head to tail, and they grow from back to front. That's the way all humans grow. So what happens basically is we have this original, Uh, fabric. And now what happens is forces are operating from the back to the front in this direction. So now what happens is it starts to invaginate. Look at this. So because of the forces, it does that. And you now end up with tissue here and tissue underneath. And if I came along with with a scalpel and I cut this, I pull it up and I say, oh, look, there's another lamina, another layer below it. But of course, it's not another layer below it because all that was was in what we call invagination. Can you see it? Mm -hmm. so it's in fact but if i pull it apart this way it goes back to being the original fabric so not only do you get invagination which is that we say so there's the invagination so it's like a pocket i talk about pockets so you get pockets that's why you get your livers and your spleens and your bladder and all this business but then it also rotates and by rotating it really thickens and becomes really strong and you start getting ligaments so all of a sudden you start getting speciality in the human body, but where's the speciality coming from? Is it coming from DNA? No, it's not coming from DNA, believe it or not. DNA is only part of the story. It's coming from the environment and the forces acting upon the cells. And that's what dictates and informs the cell what to do um, and how to form. Isn't that amazing? That so is it's amazing. A combination. It's a combination. Now, remember, it's a hypothesis. So we won't get too carried away. But remember that everything I'm telling you could be wrong. Absolutely everything uh, could be complete and utter nonsense. Um, but it's a, it's a life of 40 odd years. And this is the best uh, you know, version of the story that I can give you. So you're getting an original fabric. You're getting specialization. I'm always using spectrums. Spectrums are a wonderful educational tool. So on one end of the spectrum, you have hardness. On the other end of the spectrum, you have softness. If you want to talk about muscle fibers on one end and you want to go into color, on one end of the spectrum, you have red, and on the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of silvery white, and somewhere in between you've got an infinite uh, variation of pink, you know, red to white. Are you with me? Yes. so So there you go. We could talk about exercise physiology. We could get into muscle fiber types, and we could use the spectrum again there. So that's what we have. We have hardness to softness and as we age and perhaps maybe if we're not as healthy as we should be then perhaps maybe the bones are a little harder than they should be a little bit more brittle and that leaves us maybe more prone to all sort of all manner of issues whether it's you know fractures or osteoporosis or osteopenia or whatever or or falling there are so many different things to consider if the bone if bone health is not as it should be
0: so Oh, I got so many questions, um, but let's, st- okay, let's go with, stay with the spectrum. So bones though, aren't just structure to hold your, your skeleton or your muscles in place or give them something to move. They actually also, they're soft, hard. They move, they can move, they can flex and contract. And
1: okay. Well, contract, there's a funny word. So you're using the word contraction every day of the week because it's part of your business. So what's the word right. mean?
0: Well, I guess it means like a drawing in, or coming together.
1: That's not know. bad. That's pretty cool. That's not bad. So again, for the listeners, what I'm going to say is, um, if you're really into this, if if this is if this is your life, okay, imagine you going to a a mechanic, and you you go into the garage and you see this car there, and the, the guy's got the he's got the uh, the bonnet. What do you call the front of the car there? The bonnet. The hood. Hood, sorry, the hood. Of course, it's the hood. So you got the hood up, and you said, "You say to him, what's that? What's that thing called?" And he goes, "Oh, this thing here." And yeah, what's that called? And he just that's the that's the thing that goes vroom vroom, you know. Yeah, but what what is it like? What's it called? Or even the fact that you've never seen under the hood. Imagine if you could. If you walked in, he says, "Well, I've never looked under the hood. It'd be kind of strange." I really encourage anybody. Who gets an opportunity to be able to look under the hood uh, to take that opportunity. Well, what I also encourage you to do is take the language of movement, take the language of the human body and look at those words that you think you know, think the words that you take for granted every day. And um, we now have the internet, which is fantastic. So look up the etymology of the word, look up the root meaning of the word. And when you've got 15 20 minutes to spare you're in some airport you've got free wi-fi you're you're waiting for your flight so you're sitting there drinking your you know your green tea or whatever it is your you know coke zero whatever it takes your fancy um and you're just thinking god you know maybe i could put these 15 minutes to you know to good use okay go and look up a word and you'll find that the word contraction means to shrink as a physiologist, that caused, as a student physiologist, that caused me a lot of pain. I just really thought to shrink, I could kind of say, maybe I could see it in this direction, what we call a, a concentric contraction. But what about in that direction? It didn't really, it seemed to be very limiting. It didn't really help me to explain the process of what was happening. So, to, you know, to shrink, what's the word muscles mean? You, you probably know that one, Tim. I'm sure you do. Come on
0: no i I do not i don't have a guess on that one
1: (laughs) So muscles comes from the latin muscularis and the greeks thought that if you lay a if you laid down a, a bed sheet on the ground and a mouse ran under the bed sheet they thought that it would make the same kind of shape as muscles do under the skin so they called that stuff that's deep to your skin they called them little mice muscularis now for those people who think to themselves oh you know I'd love to study you know about fitness and health and about exercise but I'm, I'm no I could never do it I'm not academic listen guys the language might sound a little threatening and it might sound you know like it's um beyond you it's not beyond you at all these are these are words and terms that were that were given to us by absolutely uh, wonderful extraordinary people but they were ordinary individuals And they just put ordinary words. But, of course, it was in Latin or sometimes in Arabic and sometimes in French. So please don't be scared by it. Embrace it. Um, you know, have a plan, a plan of action that helps you to be able to investigate it. So it takes the fear out of studying anatomy and physiology. Um, a good tutor will help you do that and support you to do it. Uh, and then you grow to love it, you, you, you know, because the, the history is beautiful. It's almost poetic. It doesn't really help us an awful lot. Gluteus maximus just tells us it's a big muscle in this area of the body. You know, okay, it's big. Um, gluteus minimus, gluteus medius. Okay, so there's a, a smaller one, and then there's a kind of one in between. It doesn't tell us anything about it, you know. Biceps, brachii. okay, so biceps is two, two. Quadriceps is an interesting one, quadriceps, because there's six muscles in it, but um, quad, you know, four. So we've now discovered two two other additional muscles in the quadriceps. So I'm not not sure what we're going to call them. Um, It really doesn't matter how many muscles are in the air. Well, it kind of does, actually, because uh, I talk about what what I refer to as site-specific fascia tuning pegs. So I, I work on a local level and then a global level, you know. But um, okay, so how are we doing so far and where, where are
0: we're we great. at? We're great. We were you were just talking, <laughs> we were talking about the spectrum of bones aren't just rigid and they're not just still, they actually move. Yeah, so in do. other
1: words, the, the original fabric, you simply lay down specialized calcium cells, um, hydroxyapatite, and um you know uh and, and the, the, the tissue stiffens, it hardens. So and it becomes bone. That's what you do now depending on where it is and depending on the forces acting upon it will dictate how hard the bone gets. So if you feel the, uh, the distal end of your nose, if you feel that part, that's cartilage, that's bone. If you feel the rim of your ear, that's bone. But if you, you feel your sternum and come a, about an inch off the sternum and feel that that's cartilage and that's bone, but they're both bone. Right. But I'm just saying in terms of, 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 you know, speciality, that's cartilage. Now look at the, uh, which a lot of people have never seen. If you're, I don't know if anybody uh, listening in, you know, how many have actually seen living cartilage in a, you know, in a joint, you know, surgeons get to see that with endoscopes, but most of the general public don't get to see it. And it really is the equivalent of the white of a hard boiled egg. Mm. Yep. So this idea that it absorbs impact is, to me, a little bit of a nonsense, you know, that when you jump in the air and land, that your cartilage tissue is somehow a shock absorber. doesn't make any sense. There's, There's no way that your joints come together with, you know, with six times your body weight crashing down. The body is not constructed in that regard. The forces are dealt with in a very different way. And of course, that can happen. But it only happens when there's pathology or when there's an injury, when there's a, a breakdown in the system and therefore the body can't cope with the forces. And then, of course, you'll get bones coming together. But in a healthy joint, the bones should never come together and they should never. Of course, again, if you put our hands together and we do this, what you feel is immense heat and the heat is a consequence of friction. And so that's and I hear people. You know, in my travels, particularly in, in North America, I hear people talking about the difference between, you know, um, humans in one part of the world to the other, and they say that you know the Norse people are the you know the people on our side of the of the globe in Europe, and um, that we've more friction in the body. That's that's complete and utter rubbish. Um, heat is produced by the breakdown of adenosine triphosphate, a little bit of creatine phosphate, but for the most part, it's adenosine triphosphate, and that's where heat is coming from. Um, in the human body, and if it's coming from another significant source, then that significant source is most likely friction, and, um, and that would not be a good thing for you. You know that wouldn't be healthy.
0: So, can I ask you a crazy question about the trees? Yeah. So you said everything's connected, and and this is when you were talking about the three small holes that a person might get. And, which and is... I
1: don't understand all the connections. I'm saying okay to the to the listeners as well and to yourself. You know, go and investigate, guys. Don't think that all this is done and dusted and that we've had the last word or the only word. What I'm saying to you is there's huge amounts of fertile ground out there. If you if you think to yourself, well, what can I add to the story? What can I bring that's new? You can bring lots that's new. Seriously, guys, that, that it's a it's a huge area out there that needs to be navigated just yet. And I've only got, you know, some suggestions and maybe a few that, hopefully maybe some hypotheses in terms of, of um, suggested answers. But sorry, Tim, go ahead.
0: No, no, because like when you were talking about that, my mind started, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big kid, but I started thinking, OK, so if Bob gets a surgery somehow that affects the trees in bob's backyard and it affects the squirrels and it affects everything around bob because bob's connected to everything and i was just trying to like you know see if you had any yeah, ideas on.
1: Bob gets surgery he comes home he's in pain and uh, the you know he's anesthetized that begins to wear off after you know day and a half two days in and, You know, maybe he's not taking his painkillers as he should be, or he thinks, "Oh no, I don't take painkillers. I don't put that stuff in my body." And there's all sorts of people out there. But then he's got a short fuse, and he's upset, and he's angry. You know, he shouts at somebody when he shouldn't have really shouted, and it affects the entire environment, and it's going to affect everybody who loves. They've all got to love him enough to say, "Listen." You know forgive Bob because he's in a lot of pain you know and he's he'll, he'll get over this and he'll get by this but you have to have that support mechanism in place this is spilling out into your world into your life you know and it's amazing what people do when they've anger in them you know they slam the door put the car in first gear put the foot down on the accelerator they Dried out the driveway, they hit something and they go, oh, yes. well, why do they have the accident? You know, it's because they didn't care. They cared less. You know, they're angry. I'm, you know, so believe me, everything is connected to everything else and everything has a, an impact on everything else. It just depends on how you want to describe it. But for me, um, you know, when I'm teaching about anatomy and physiology, I'm talking about it from a living tensegrity viewpoint. And I believe that t- living tensegrity impacts my life. And I hope it makes me a, a you know a good husband and a good dad, a good father. Um, you know, and, and not just because I'm holier than thou, I'm absolutely not uh, for my own vested interest. I want to make the world a better place for me as well. Um I, I, I tend to think I've got fairly realistic. Um, expectations in my life and the one thing I hope I'm never as greedy I hope I'm never greedy I don't ever want to be greedy I'm very grateful for everything that I have in my life but I really despise greed that's the one thing I don't like you know I love entrepreneurship and go for it and that person needs to be compensated for doing a fantastic job but just just not greed you know if you've got loads then give loads away. <laughs> that's what I'd say. Hey,
0: I think I think you said it, but gratitude's probably the antidote for greed. <laughs>
1: yeah, gratitude. That's exactly. Be grateful, and uh, you know, if I shift off this earth, if I'm not here this time next year, a couple of different things. One, don't don't be worried about me. Um, you know, because that's uh, that, that doesn't. What would bother me is my kids and how they'd cope when I'm gone. But i would be gone, so i would be absolutely fine. I believe you get one bite of the cherry. Uh, at this, I believe you get one opportunity. You don't need anybody to—I um, don't, anyway. Certainly, I don't need anybody um, to kind of place some some kind of penalty on me if I don't behave myself. I behave myself because I think it's the right thing to do. You know, I think it's a it's a good thing in life to be nice to other people and to to spread a bit of love, him. But we're going into a we're getting into another. We'll st- next thing is we'll be talking about consciousness, and that's a whole other conversations so
0: well, what do you know about consciousness
1: <laughs> uh, we could that's another uh, we, we'll go down that we'll go down that road maybe on another occasion
0: episode that? episode two <laughs> coming coming soon um for for because you mentioned it just just so everybody's tracking with you can you define living to integrity for everyone
1: okay so um i'm going to use two models tim and um, this first one is called the squish because you can squish it. It's a child's toy, and this was made by um, a colleague of mine. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, a few years back now. Tom Fleming, Tom Flemmons, and um, Tom is in Canada, and he was a great character. And um, so, what what is this? This is a this is a model of the forces at play within cells. It's a model of the architecture of cells. So. Again, today, I think it would take me too long to to go into the minutiae of it, but basically there are different um, geometrical shapes and of all the shapes that could possibly support life, there is one shape that supports it, and that's called an icosahedron. This is an icosahedron. Um, And what you see then is now this model is my friend, but this model can also be my enemy because it, it only gets us so far with trying to understand a living construct such as homo sapiens and um, you know a human a human being and um, and this one by the way I've, I've been messing with it and doing all sorts of so it's a little bit out of shape so in terms of analogies well you a, a tenth tensegrity, a tensegrity has two members one member is infinite goes on forever and the other member is is non-infinite so Here we have the two members. This member here is is discontinuous. In other words, you can see it ends here and you can see it ends there. So it is discontinuous. This member is representing the continuous member, the infinite member. Now, the um, the thing about this, of course, is that this structure is man-made. So if I bring this up to the the camera, you can see there's a little knot. Mm -hmm. So you have to tie a knot in this so that it's not actually... Truly, uh, you know, a tensegrity. It just looks like a, a living tensegrity. So we've one structure that is continuous, and we have a second structure then that is discontinuous. Well, people say that in the human body, the bones would be discontinuous, and then all the softer, soft tissue would be continuous. But that's completely and utterly wrong, because the bones are simply a hard or harder version of the softer material. So where in a tensegrity, you have two members, in a living tensegrity, you only have one member. And you have one member that, yes, is is harder or softer, but depending on where you are in the spectrum, we have aspects of the human body that can instantaneously change from... So one creates tension and one creates... of so these guys, that they're the real tension Makers and these guys are the compression makers, but in the human body, we have, you know, various different elements to the human body that can, in one moment, be a tension maker and in an instant, be a tensional maker. They they go through what we call fa- phase change, and um, so the human the human um, uh, model is a much more complex model than this. Um, but what you will see, which is nice in the tenth century model is that if if we were to make a comparison between these guys and bones what you see is that the bones aren't touching can you see that mm-hmm. and you can see that it's able to it's able to you know stay upright it has what i refer to as lift so we've got gravitational force which is pushing us to the center of the earth at 9.8 seconds per meter squared which means we're accelerating towards the the center of the earth and that's because of the it's not because of what Newton talked about, about attraction of, of objects. It's to do with, believe it or not, it's to do with the curvature in space, space, the space-time curvature, which is again a, probably a conversation for another day. But Episode the point three. is say, yeah, maybe number three. But the point <laughs> is there is gravity. In other words, things will fall to this to the center. There things are being pushed to this. There is a force acting upon this, as we call it gravity. So it's pushing us to the center of the earth, But why am I not being pushed? And why are you not being pushed right now, Tim, into your into your chair? And that's because you're able to, of course, for every action, there's an opposite, and equal reaction. reaction. So the reaction is what we call ground reaction force. And that ground reaction force provides us with what we call lift. And that is nutritious. So you're talking about maybe eating you know, food. Movement is nutritious to the human body movement provides you with the appropriate forces of tension and compression that then get translated into physiology and metabolism. And yes, we need ATP to support that mechanism, but movement is nutritious. And if you did not have movement, then you're going to have a completely different environment. So think of some poor soul who's in a hospital somewhere in the world today. Um, And which one of those, you know, people is closer to death, yourself and myself or the person lying in a hospital bed? You know, statistically, the person lying in the hospital bed. So really, movement is life, but movement is nutritious. I I mean that literally. So it's not just the carbohydrates, fats and proteins that you're Of course, alcohol is the fourth one. Let's get rid of the fourth one for just a moment. So proteins, fats and carbohydrates, you know, you're taking them into your body. Um, but, you know, they're not going to be of any great value to you unless you've movement, you know, so uh, movement creates the forces and the forces create the movement. It's kind of a, a two way system. So, so that's the tensegrity, and we are living tensegrities. So remember, this is just a model of the forces at play um, and a, a nice description of the architecture based on this model called an icosahedron which, if you can see here, the icosahedron is based upon triangulations. So, for instance, in every textbook in the world, you have a lever based system which there's nothing here. You, you, you just see one lever and a second lever and you'll see movement. It's just complete and utter fantasy. It's a fallacy. You can't have it. Um, you know, it, it, so we, we are And if you did have three, if you had that that third element, that gives you stability. But unfortunately, it doesn't give you any movement. In order to have movement, you have to have a minimum of four bars. And then once you have four bars, do I have... Well, I have a multi-bar system beside me here, but this multi-bar system is actually what's called a Hoberman sphere. But this is really nice, by the way. Again, this is another model that can really model much of the, of the um, anatomy of the human body and of the physiology. For instance, if I breathe, Or if I pee, you know. Psst. Or if I was to eat food, you see. So um, this is quite a nice uh, analogy, and this is made of plastic. So there's there's no one piece, no one you know module in this that's either lengthening or shortening. Yet the entire thing. If I said to you this was point A, this was point B, and this was point c if i said if i could bring point b towards point c would it be reasonable to assume that i was lengthening something i think most people say yeah that would look like you're lengthening something okay well i I can pull it and i can bring it all the way to point c and yet nothing has actually lengthened nothing has shortened but yet the entire structure seems to have lengthened so really what you've got there is a shape change a shape change towards expansion that's what we that's Generally speaking, what we like, we like expansive forces. We don't want to expand too much. In the same way as we don't want to shrink too much, and um, so we just get that nice, you know. This that seems that's beautiful. That's beautiful harmonic resonance right there. It's that's breath. That's life. That's so. That's a that's a kind of a nice idea of a multi-bar kinematic closed kinematic system, and that's what the body is doing. You cannot move one part of it without the entire structure being affected. Yeah yes that's a hoberman sphere. beautiful um present uh, to get somebody for christmas um you know christmas is coming up everybody loves christmas so um you know you can get these guys in your local store go and go down to your local toy store Um, you know i know the internet's easy but go down to your local toy store and support your local your local store why not
0: so would you say living integrity is really just the wonder of the spectrum of the original fabric?
1: Absolutely, and it's it's a discussion about the speciality within that fabric. It's a discussion about the continuity, and it's coming to terms with like, I mean, for instance, you know, all over the world, but particularly in America, you guys are besotted with train lines and. You know this train line here, and, and that's fine. By the way, it's 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 it certainly moved the story on in terms of con- of some kind of continuity, but that's what we would call a point to point postulate, and so it's wrong because it's linear. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, part of the story, it's only one part of the story. While well, the rest of it is a beautiful story, um, and and deserves applaud, but um, but really we need to move on from that now. We need to broaden our horizons and try to come to to grips, come to terms with explaining. The forces that are occurring in an omnidirectional um, fashion.
0: So like anatomy spheres then.
1: Or... Anatomy spheres. Well done, Tim. You're you're excellent, that's excellent. Um, in my last question. You just said that, and you you know, I've been in many, many classes around the world, and I wouldn't expect anybody to be able to come out with, with even that. It seems simplistic to you, but the fact that you just said use the word sphere, that's brilliant. That's excellent. You're well tuned in.
0: Well, I've had a good teacher for the last uh forty some minutes, so. Yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs> okay, gotcha.
0: Hey, so my last question was, um, and I, you just answered it. If, if looking at the wonder of the body and wanting to live your best life and preserve the gift, the body that you've been given, the one you get to create, what would be the best way to to keep it healthy so that it serves you well throughout your life? And yeah, move, I think move. it's movement. <laughs>
1: yeah because movement is what causes you know that those forces and if you think about it those forces you know they you can see they have a kind of a hydraulic effect you know that that movement is high so it's about moving fluids to the body i have a colleague of mine uh, professor Han Ostenke, who's up in uh, Leipzig, Leipzig university in germany at the moment and um he and uh, his small team in his laboratory are just calculating uh, the amount of fluid that there is in the human body i mean we we think we know how much fluid there is in the body, but really that has that hasn't um, been been resolved in quite some years. So, Hannah, uh, the, Professor Stanka is looking at that now at the moment and we'll see what the result is. So we, we'd expect it to be somewhere in the region of 82 percent. And, you know, of course, you drink water. There, there's no water in the human body. There's there's f- once you drink water, which is H2 and O, well, count seven seconds and it's in your stomach. And once it's in your stomach, it's no longer H2 and O, it's something else. So there's no water in the human body. Although when we drink water initially, of course we need water. And we get the vast majority of our, of our water and fluid from our solid foods. I think there are people who are too besotted with drinking too much water. You're, you're putting your urinary system under great stress. And um, you know, you you know, if you're exercising, that's different. You're losing probably copious amounts of fluid through sweat um, or reasonable amounts of fluids through sweat. And there are calculations you can use to be able to work out how much fluid you've lost in a workout and then how to put that back in a safe way over a period of time. Um, but but certainly, yes. Yeah, so um, movement, of course, is, is, the, is the key. Movement enriches your life. And, um, you know, being physical, being active, is, is, it's just a, a wonderful gift, you know.
0: John, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Sharkey, a true teacher. Thank you, John.
1: Not a problem, Tim. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend.